Number one pointer, if you will, litmus test is there aren't any kids left. Everybody in the church has this color here or similar. We're not there. We're, we're seeing younger people coming in. They're bringing their families. But of course, that means we have to prepare for that, right? We have to meet their needs as well. And I believe we're in the process of doing just that. If you didn't know this, yesterday we met uh, for an event that we call Acts 2. And some of you were a part of that. You were invited by invitation. Uh, I tried to get a sampling of the church. And basically what we're trying to do here is, along with four other churches, three other churches, I'm sorry, four total, uh, we are trying to recast the vision of the hope. That's a good thing. Now, we've got a ways to go. We've got a lot to do before we spring this on you. But uh, the target date is going to be ne next September, which is just about a year away. So in the meantime, just realize that we're working on uh, what the Lord wants for us. And we would covet your prayers when you meet with God, just say, Lord, help our leaders to hear from you, to see what you want done here in the community of Gaylord and northern Michigan and in the world through the hope. And we would greatly appreciate that. So, I'm glad you're here today. Oh, boy. You're still in that worship mode. Wasn't that awesome? I'm telling you what. Can, is he gone again? Where's Pastor Roger? He, he sneak out. Rascal, he always does that to me. Um, when he comes back in, tell him I want to do the I Stand song at the end. Just so, in case I forget, somebody can warn him. And that includes the worship team, please. I wanted to just briefly say one thing before I got started, and, and that is this Wednesday we're starting a new book in the Bible. Uh, Brother Gary is going to moderate and uh, I'm really excited about it. It's the book of Jonah. How many of you have ever studied that book? It's, it's an amazing book, and it really does have a contemporary value. And so I would encourage you, if you can, come on out. We actually have prayer at a quarter of six. If you get here by six, that goes till almost seven, and then at seven, we come in here and we have our Bible study. And uh, I'll tell you what, it, it's just a wonderful time. And everybody has an opportunity to, to speak if they want to. Um, and, and it always turns out to be a really good study. So this Wednesday we begin the what? Book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to start with prayer because I feel like I need to engage you guys. Would you stand with me one more time? Lord, we can't do this without you. Each one of us has been called. You have a plan and a purpose for our lives. A plan to prosper us and not to bring harm to us. Lord, we all have a future that is bright in Jesus. And Lord, we just commit this short time into your hands. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, what the kingdom of God wants us to see and wants us to hear. Speak to us, Lord, even if this man doesn't say it today, I pray that every person in this room will hear something from their king. 
something valuable, something encouraging, something that will build them up and not tear them down. And Lord, we dedicate this next hour to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And when I say hour, that includes the altar time. So We actually got done a little bit early with the offering. Hallelujah. A broken heart for God. I was going to encourage Pastor Roger again because it seemed like, to me anyway, that each of the songs he chose today fit right into this vein. And, and unless you have been studying like I have the passages that I've studied, you wouldn't get what I'm talking about. But as we go through this today, it was perfect. The Holy Spirit loves us that much that he will line up what we sing. And, and Roger didn't come to me and go, hey, Norm, what are, you, what are you preaching on this Sunday? He had no clue. And yet, as I said, I feel that each song he picked was relevant for this morning's message. That's how much God loves you. Don't ever think that this, he just threw stuff out there. Eh, we'll see where everything lands. Uh-uh. It is an, a well-orchestrated machine, if I can call it that. God knows what he's doing. Today we're going to look back at Psalm 51. Yes, that's in the Old Testament. Is that all right? Can we, can we look at, is there value in the Old Testament? I believe there's a shadow of Jesus in every book in the Old Testament. A shadow of his coming, a prophecy or something similar. It's amazing, even thinking about Noah's Ark. You know, okay, that's a big giant boat, 450 feet long. How in the world does that relate to Jesus? Well, duh. It saved all of the people that God wanted saved. Jesus does the same. God wants all men to be saved, by the way. But it is a choice. You have to make it. You have to say yes to him. You have to say yes to the fact that he hung on that cross. And I loved how Pastor Roger put it earlier. He said, God looked through time and saved you. God looked through time. Gary, he saw you. And I'm sure you would agree that there was a point in your life where you felt like, man, I'm just a miserable wretch. And I only say that because I felt the same way until Jesus. And he got a hold of this man. And he changed me from the inside out. Before we read Psalm 51, just put a little, little mark in your Bible if you have it. I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 12, just a little bit of it. And, and let me just give you a prelude to what's to come. In 2 Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan has just been given instruction by God to go to King David and to give him some news. It isn't good news. It goes something like this, I'm paraphrasing. David, you blew it. And God knows it. And God wants you to make amends. This broken heart for God thing, that's what we're talking about today. Do you have a broken heart for God? 
David is being called out. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, the apostle Paul said this. He said, the Lord will bring into light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the people's hearts. We think that we can cover up our sins and God won't notice. You can't. He sees everything. Now for many of us, unless a human catches us, it's okay. But do you realize the day is going to come when every one of us are going to stand before the judge and he is going to expose everything that we have done. If it's not under the blood, it will be exposed. Here's what Nathan came to say to David. 2 Samuel 12. I'm going to read from the Message Bible, and I I did this on purpose. Um, there There are any slides. Just listen. But God was not at all pleased with what David had done. Have you ever been to that place? And you knew it. I mean, you... Have you ever done something with, a, with a, a human being, maybe your wife, where you blew it, men. And you, you can feel their eyes piercing through your soul when they figure it out. And it's like, no, I don't like this. Imagine how much more if God sees what you've done. God was not pleased with David, what he had done. So he sent Nathan to David. Now, again, his sending Nathan wasn't, it wasn't because he hated David. It was because he loved him. The Bible says that if God loves you, if you're one of his children, he'll what? He'll discipline. He, He will speak to you, and then you need to do something with that. Nathan said to him, there are two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. Now this is just a story that he's giving to David, and he wants David to kind of connect it in his heart, and he will. Watch this. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep, herds of cattle. He was doing really well. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had, brought, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate, and it drank from his cup, and it slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. He probably had a name for this sheep. I don't know what he called it, but my goodness, he loved this animal. His kids loved it. Oh, I can't wait to get home from school and see whatever her name was. Let's call her Betsy for the lack of a better word. Oh, Betsy, yay! How many get excited when you get home and there's this? Got one of those, right? One of those furry critters. Or if you have a cat, they, they run off as soon as you... <laughs> they loved this animal. It was their pet. As the Bible says, he looked at this animal as one of his kids. We do that. One day a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. What? You know, they didn't have grocery stores like we have today. 
somebody came to visit, and usually they had an entourage with them, it would mean you had to feed them. But instead of going to his own refrigerator, where did he go? The poor man's house. You know what? <laughs> Why take one of mine when I can steal his? David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be lynched. Uh-oh. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. Then Nathan said what no man wants to hear, or woman. You're the man. You're the man. Here's what God, the God of Israel, has to say to you. I made you king over Israel. I freed you from the fist of Saul. I gave you your master's daughter and other wives to have and to hold. I gave you both Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't been enough, I'd have gladly thrown in much more. So why have you treated the word of God with brazen contempt doing this great evil? And what he's referring to here is that David had broke several commands. How many know the story? Then he goes through a short list. You murdered Uriah the Hittite. Then took his wife as your wife. Worse, you killed him with an Ammonite sword. And now, because you treated God with such contempt and took Uriah the Hittite's wife as your wife, killing and murder will continually plague your family. Here's the thing. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Point to your neighbor and tell him that. You reap what you sow. You sow wickedness, you're going to reap it. If you're nice to people, most of the time they'll be nice back. <laughs> the big important thing is, if you're nice to people, God will be nice to you. That's really what we're getting to here. So David had blown it. And then Nathan said, this is God speaking. Remember that. I'll make trouble for you out of your own family. I'll take your wives right from out in front of you. I'll give them to some neighbor and he'll go to bed with them openly. You did your deed in secret. I'm doing mine with the whole country watching. How many would be shaking in your boots right about now? Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against God. Finally, finally, he admits it. Nathan pronounced yes, but that's not the last word. God forgives your sin. You won't die for it, but because of your blasphemous behavior and and different versions say scorned or because of your utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. The son that he and Bathsheba had had and through the act of adultery will die. And his son did die. As we read this story, as, as we look ahead a little bit, I just wanted you to, to grasp this, that David had sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, and, of course, against God. 
he sinned against Bathsheba. You need to understand that if he had said, bring that woman to me, she had no choice but to go. He was the king. She couldn't just say, well, that's not a good idea. My husband's not here. She didn't have that option. Because he commanded her to come, she had to come. Second, because of that infidelity, because of the adulterous act, she conceived, which really blew David's mind because now he's what? Stuck in his sin. Anybody ever get there? You're like, uh oh, what did I do? And there's no way out. Let's face it, you know, as that little child grows, people are going to be going, ah. What you need to understand here, if you don't know the story, is that Uriah, the Hittite, was with the army. They were somewhere else fighting. He wasn't at home to impregnate his wife. So the fact that she got pregnant is going to be pretty obvious to everybody that something happened that shouldn't have. That's how sin is. Your sins will find you out, right? (laughs) And they will. What is David to do? Let Let me point one thing out here. Where should David have been? On the battlefield. But he stayed behind. See, he was out of the will of God. And let me, let me just say this. When you get out of the will of God, stuff bad happens. Bad things happen. When you know in your heart, I should be on the battlefield, but I stay home. I should be at church, but I stay home. I'm just using that as an example. Stuff happens. This would never have taken place had he been where he should have been, leading his army. So he does something drastic. Bring Uriah home. <laughs> Let him sleep with his wife. That way nobody will know. It's close enough, you know, if we can get him here soon. So he had Uriah come home. But he wasn't expecting Uriah to do what he did. (laughs) Go figure. He messed with the wrong man. Uriah said, listen, my brothers are out on the battlefield fighting for their lives, fighting for this nation. And if they can't sleep with their wives, I'm not sleeping with mine. And he laid outside. (laughs) David's like, Serious? His heart had to be beating fast. Now what am I going to do? How many know what he did next? This is where it really comes to play. He told his commander, he said, listen, you guys go out on the battlefield and you charge the wall. Let Uriah lead. And then I want everybody else to come back. Think about this. 
I was, I was just contemplating this. I'm thinking, all right, if I were there and I were one of the other soldiers, and my commander said, hey, come on, let's go back. Wait, Uriah's out there. What do, our, what do the Marines say today? No man left behind? You've got to believe those men were the same way. So when they were commanded to leave Uriah in the lurch, they knew what it meant. He ticked off the wrong dude. And I'm sure they put two and two together. And yes, he was killed. What was David thinking? He thought this was going to get him out of trouble? Now he's got the whole army going, dude, the king did that to Uriah. He was a good man. What's he going to do to us? Can you imagine the stirrings amongst the people? He thought he got away with it, maybe. But he found out otherwise, didn't he? This is the beginning. This is where we find him right here. And we can look at this and we can say, man, David was horrible. What did he do? He killed people. Slept with a beautiful woman that he shouldn't have. But you know what we should be thinking? Man, I'm so glad that God was able to forgive David. Because if he can forgive David, he, hopefully, maybe, he can forgive me. Because when I think of some of the things I've thought and done, I deserve death. I deserved judgment. My sins were stacked. But Jesus was there for me. All of us should say, this is good news. David committed adultery, and murder, and even blasphemy against God. If he did that and God was able to forgive him, there's still hope for us. Listen, the Bible is full of passages that talk about God's love, his unconditional agape love toward us. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love for us. Read this with me. For God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many can say that's good news? Meditate on that thought just for a minute. Some of us in this room are so miserable because we're, we're carrying the weight of those sins. While you were yet sinner, a sinner, Christ died for you. He knew that we would do horrible things as he looked through time. As he looked to where you're at today. He knew we would. And he still died for you. He died for us knowing that we'd commit adultery, knowing that we would lie, knowing that we would abuse our own bodies, that we would steal, that we would curse people, we would be jealous of others. We would commit 
orgies with other people. We would fight. We would spew hatred. And every, I mean, you just look at the news. My goodness. The hatred that goes around. And supposedly, some of these people are Christians. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Why did God do that? Why would he do that? So that we would have a way out. He knew what David was going to do. Remember, he said, this is a man after my own heart. Did that change? But David blew it. God gave us a way out. God gave David a way out. No longer would they have to kill a bull or goat. No, no longer would there have to be a blood sacrifice in order for your sins to be covered. Now they would be erased through the blood of Jesus. Once and for all, you never have to deal with those again. In the Psalms it says, as far as the east is from the west, so I will forgive your sins and never look upon them again. That's good news. Now I want to jump over to Psalm 51. And, and here's the reason I went through that. Some feel that David wrote Psalm 51. Others contest that, but it doesn't really matter. Most feel that it was a leader, a king, that wrote this psalm, and they had sinned. And now they were coming back to God. And, and I wanted to show you the beauty of this. What it looks like when a sinner throws themselves at the mercy of the Lord. Verse 1, and I'm reading from the TNIV today. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Can you picture David praying this to God? Here, the psalmist used three different words to describe their sin. Do you notice them? First one is transgressions, which is an act of disobedience or rebellion. How many say, yep? Second one, iniquity, which is guilt, a deliberate act of wrongdoing. You knew you were going to do it before you did it. That's what sin is. And then finally, sin simply means going astray, missing the mark. And then he used three different forms to remove the sin. How many of you have ever spilled something on your clothes and you blotted it out? Sometimes it works. In my experience, it tends to more make it more... <laughs> the second one is what? To wash away. You know, sometimes, <laughs> get my white, why do I always wear white when I'm eating spaghetti? 
And I, I get up and I'm in front of the sink. That's probably when my shirts are all stretched out. And I, I turn the water on and I, I just try to work it under there, you know, to wash it away. Sometimes that works. Of course, now I'm all wet. But And, and of course, the third one is to cleanse me from my sin. And, and there I picture a washing machine. I finally take the shirt off, put it in the washer with some soap, and usually that gets it out. All right. And that's what God does with our sins, with our transgressions, with our guilts. Are you with me? For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only. This is so important. Against you, you only. Who's he talking to? God. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge? So first he admits he can't get out from under the burden, the debt of sin. None of us can. Many try. I was just reminded of someone recently that said they would often, this was in the 30s when the uh, mafia, when they were out there doing their thing, corrupt businesses. But these guys felt in their hearts, well, after we rob the bank, after we sell all these drugs, whatever it is, they took a portion of it and a big limo would pull up in front of the rectory or the church and some little guy would run in with a bag full of money and throw it in the offering. What was that? It was an attempt to make up for what they just did. It was really blood money and they were trying to ease their conscience with that gift. But guess what? Didn't work. That was between them and God, not people. Then he states how it is God that he wronged. When he sinned, it was God alone who was affected by it. Now listen, I know Uriah died. Bathsheba had to live with that shame. But it was God who he had offended. And that's what each of us has to figure out. We have to realize, listen, as bad as it is for those around you, it's this relationship you've got to get right first. Because He is the only one who can wash you clean. And here the psalmist observes the obvious. God has every right to judge me. How many would say amen? He does. He has every right to judge us. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Some feel that this would be better rendered. Wrong and guilt have characterized my life ever since my mother gave birth to me. And I, I would tend to agree that that would make much more sense. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
Now, hyssop was a little flowering plant that they often used for different ceremonies, and they would use it kind of like a priest, you know, to sprinkle people with water, or sometimes they'd dip it in the blood and, and, and brush things with it. I don't know what kind of ceremonies. Stop it. This idea, though, goes so much deeper than superficial cleansing. What he's really saying is, remove my sin and I will be clean. Who's going to do that? The only one who can heal us of our sin is God. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let Gladness, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now, did God really crush his bones? He brought that on himself. You see that? Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Listen, we know that God hates sin. So he's saying, Lord, don't look at what I've done wrong. Heal me. Cleanse me. What is this? This is an act of repentance. Some of you are in here today and you say, I've done that. And I hope you have. But I want this to go deeper today. Because I think some of us who've been in the faith for years, there's still something we're hanging on to. Uh Uh-oh. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word steadfast means to be loyal. So what he's saying is, Lord, help me to be loyal to you. Some of us need to pray that on a daily basis. And then he's, he, when he says the spirit within me, he, he's talking about his attitude, his will, not like we think today. We think of spirit, we think of God, the Holy Spirit. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about his will. That's what we fight on a daily basis. It's that flesh man going, do it, do it, do it. Some scholars feel that the best way to put this last verse is, do not take your spirit away from me, meaning leading to death. It's not referring to the Holy Spirit as we know him today. Verse 12, and we're getting to the good stuff. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. A willingness to obey God. To sustain me. Who's he he relying on here? Himself? No, he's praying, God, help me with this. I don't want to offend you anymore. I want to do what's right. My flesh, man, it's crying out. Do it, do it, do it. I don't want to do that anymore, Lord, because I know it hurts you. You hate sin. Help me, Lord. Help my
my will to be strong today. God can work with a prayer like that. Oops. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, in verse 13, here's a vow. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Think about that. If you restore me, he's saying, I will teach sinners about you. Is it okay to do that? Apparently it is, because God put it in the book. If you'll forgive me, I'll turn back to you. But you know what? God wants you to honor your vows. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something like that. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guilt. I had to look this up. In my best interpretation of this, I believe what he's trying to say here is, Lord, spare me from the nightmares of somebody coming and killing me and my family. Remember what God spoke over David? That your wives will be dragged out in the street and they'll, they'll have stuff with them right there in front of you. Your family's going to know that the sword is against them the rest of your life. Can you imagine what's going through his head? Because he knows everything God has said up to this point has come to pass. The same is true with us. What kind of nightmares do you live through? What keeps you up at night fearing that you have done someone wrong or someone maybe has done you wrong? I don't know. Nightmares that keep us up because we've sinned against ourselves, against our neighbors, and against God himself. As I understand it, that's what this is talking about. Violent, premature death. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. We did that today. We sang unto the Lord. Why? Because he's forgiven us. We can do that. He's made us new. We're a new creation in Christ. We can sing and not have to worry about our nightmares. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. What he's really saying here is, while unforgiven, I can't praise you. But once forgiven, I can. That's why I'm saying when we were singing earlier, you couldn't have done that if you hadn't been forgiven. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Listen, this is the old way of doing things. This was under the law. And they were still practicing this when David was there. But today we don't do that anymore. We do, thank God we don't have to do that anymore. He doesn't 
He doesn't enjoy them anyway. Hmm. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Can you read verse 17 with me? My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. How many know what contrite means? I had to look it up. Remorseful, penitent, filled with regret. Instead of, I've got this, it's a willingness to come to him and say, as far from I've got this as I can put it, I ain't got this. I need your help. And only you, Lord, can help with this, the burden of sin. Only you can forgive it means to come clean, to humble yourselves and say, I can't do this. You are the only one who can do this for me. And admitting your brokenness. And that's where that broken heart comes in. Admitting it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a sign of humility. It's, it's your saying, I can't, but he can. And you know that, that right there. I can't, he can, is exactly where God wants you to be with that broken and contrite heart. He can work with that. But when we stand on this side, well, you know, it wasn't really that bad. Yeah, I know, I yelled at my daughter and I might have called her a few names. She'll get over it. Will she? I like how Christian missionary Paris Reed had put this, and I wanted to put it up behind you so you can read it with me. A person repents when he comes to the place where he discovers that the will of God is the government of his life. I love that. The will of God is what governs us. It keeps us, it's a template, and it keeps us on the path that we're supposed to be on. David got outside of the template of God. He got off the track that God had for him, and it cost him. And it cost others as a result. God is the government of his life, and the glory of God is the reason for his life. Do you get that part? How many say yes? I understand what that means. What does it mean for your life to represent the glory of God? Whenever I think of glory, I think of heaven just beaming off of people. Beaming off of Jesus. The Son of God comes down and whew, you can feel it. It resonates. That's us. Created in His image. His children. Forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Cleansed through the cross. Or the act on the cross. And we represent God's glory. Everywhere we go. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world. 
He's talking about what? The glory of God. I, I picture a bushel basket. He said, don't put a bushel over it. Poof. What's going to happen? It's going to leak around the bottoms probably a little bit. Unless you really step on it and dig it down into the ground. But why would you do that? We're supposed to let our light shine. But what do we do? We take a bushel and we hide under it. Ah! Don't let them see me doing this, God. Is that showing the glory? No. The opposite. Let your light shine. Let the glory of God shine. Hallelujah. He only has repented who has changed his mind about his reason for being. Ooh, that's deep stuff. It really is. You can, you can Google that and you'll find it. Paris Reed had whatever. You'll, you'll figure it out. There were two last verses, which don't have a lot to do with what I'm talking about here today, but just to throw them up. Again, talking again about Jerusalem prospering, and then of reinstituting the uh, burnt offerings, which, as I've already said, we no longer have to do. So, kind of a moot point. Where do you stand today? If I could have the worship team come back. Go ahead and stand up. Let some blood flow if you can. I said this a few weeks ago. God wants us to get back to the basics. This is so basic, yet so necessary. He wants all men to be saved. No one to perish. If somebody dies in their sins, it's their own fault because they didn't accept the gift of God. I love Isaiah 45:22. Turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And then in the book of John, if we claim to be without sin, will you read this with me? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow. A broken and contrite heart. 
as verse 17 said, is an invitation to God. How many want all that God has for you? Would you lift your hand up if that's you? I mean, I can't imagine anybody coming to church that didn't feel that way. You want to open that door. You want to open the floodgates of God's blessing and and love and encouragement and all that he has for you. This is where it begins right here. A broken and contrite heart. Humbling yourself and saying, God, I've done it my own way. And listen, you may be born again. You may have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior 30, 40 years ago. But since then, you've not been living for Him. You've been out of the template of God, off the path that He had for you. You have not been glorifying Him, but rather you put a bushel over the light that God put in you. And God's saying today, no more. He's sending the prophet here today to say, no more. You can't live like that and honor me. I see what you do in secret. And unless you want everyone to see it, you need to repent and get right with me and stop sinning because you know it's evil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody moving around for a minute. Say, Pastor, I think that's me. I need to repent today. I need to get right with God. He's got my number today. If that's you, please raise your hand real quick. Hands going up. Thanks. That's between you and the Lord. There's nobody else here that's judging you. Holy Spirit, what would you have us say? Speak to us, Lord. A broken and contrite heart is what I desire from you. Come to me. Humble yourself. And I will forgive you. And I will call you my own. You are mine, child, if you follow my ways. Would you pray this with me today, saints? And if you lifted your hand up, pray this as though he were standing right in front of you, because I believe he's here. Confess your sin to him. And I'd ask the family of believers to join me in this. Father God, Father God, today, today, I take a stand. I take a stand for goodness, for goodness, and not evil. And not evil. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. That he died for me. That he died for me. My sins. My sins were what hung Jesus 
what hung Jesus on the cross. On the cross. Today, Lord. Today, Lord. I accept that gift. I accept that gift of salvation. Of salvation. The transforming work. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. As only you can give him. As only you can give him. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I come to you today. I come to you today. With what I have. With what I have. I give it to you. I give it to you. Help me. Help me. Help me with my will. Help me with my will. To be loyal to you. To be loyal to you. Not to sin. Not to sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Today. Today. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness, Lord. And make me that new person. And make me that new person. I dedicate my life to you. I dedicate my life to you. And I vow to you, Lord. And I vow to you. I will let your glory. I will let your glory. Shine out. Shine out. And I will talk to sinners. And I will talk to sinners. And share what you've done with me. To share what you've done with me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We honor you today, Lord. Yes, Lord. We first say thank you for changing us from the inside out. For giving us a plan and a purpose, a future that's bright. And Lord, now that we've been cleansed of our sins, use us. We place our lives in the hands of the potter. We are the clay. Shape us and mold us and form us into the believers that you want us to be. Build this church as only you can build it. And Lord, today, we give you permission to use us to let your glory shine, Lord. To let your light shine in this dark world. I pray that none of us would try to cover it up any longer. But rather, Lord, we'd be who you've called us to be. The light to the world. You started it, Jesus. You came as the light. And then you gave us the light. And now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower this body. God, give us opportunities to pray for people, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, to bring restoration back to families and marriages, Lord, and, and, and all of the other things that you do so well. Use us in these areas. And Lord, as we travel today, whether we are going home or somewhere else, Lord, in our coming and in our going, keep us safe. Bless us, Lord, as only you can. Again, we dedicate to you our lives, our hearts, our families, this church, the ministries within. Have your way. To you be all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming out to the Hope today.